You're listening to the global ultra-running podcast, Talk Ultra. I'm Ian Corliss. This is episode 233 of Tour Culture. Yes, we're back. And on this show, Courtney DeWalter. How are you, my friend? <laughs> How are you? It's been a oh. it's been a long time. It it feels as though you you've probably aged a year. Oh, at least <laughs> there's been a lot yeah. happening since we last spoke you've moved i believe i am i'm in uh ridgeway colorado now we still have our house in salt lake but um but yeah we're we moved all the big stuff so to speak over a couple weeks ago that was the biggest part of it yep so cheryl is cheryl is in salt lake at the moment i'm in i'm in colorado she still has her job okay um, so we're still working through that but um no, it's it's great, man. I'm no more, no more traffic, busyness, and stuff like that. I was yeah. over it. And and how's how's the weather? I'm guessing it's completely different over there, is it? Uh, well, it is different. I mean, in Salt Lake, it's been the snowiest year ever. Yeah. So, I mean, Alta Utah has received like 650 inches already. Wow. <laughs> which is off the charts. Uh, yeah. It's off the charts. Um, um, over here, actually, it's only been. On the ground at my house, we have like a foot. Um, but I'm, I'm at 8,000 feet, so I'm up pretty high, but it's sort of like a rain shadow area where the San Juan Mountains, where Hard Rock is, gets, they're, they're doing really well with snow too, and they're, they're a stone's throw from my house. But um, we're just in a weird spot, but uh, it's all right. I'm not complaining, you know. So, so you're permanently altitude training then? Yeah, I sleep at 8,000 feet every night now. Wow, look <laughs> yep. at that. All those gains that you're going to get, about that? but I but I believe uh, it, you're you're a bit injured. Yeah, I got a little bit of a hamstring issue that's been nagging. It's kind of uh, I don't know. It's weird. I don't I don't think I pulled a muscle. I think it's more of a nerve thing. But I haven't had it diagnosed because I I mean I've been over in Colorado and I haven't seen a doctor, so I really can't say exactly what it is because only the doctors know. Yeah, for the most part, you know. Um, so I'm gonna hopefully when I go back, I'm gonna go back to Salt Lake in a few weeks. And I hope I'll hope I'll uh, see somebody there if it's not really resolved. But yeah, it's I've been walking, walk jogging a lot, um, just to keep my sanity by getting out of the house, you know. Yeah, uh, and but, how's uh, those? It's been um, frustrating. How's all those new trails? Well, right now, I mean, the the good stuff is you know obviously under snow in the San Juans, but around our house, um, we have a small network of trails, so it's keeping me occupied, so to speak. But it'll. I mean, it'll get old after a while, but at the same time, uh, it, the view never gets old, you know? Yeah. Um, it's, it's okay. It's, it's not, I'm not getting vertical gains when I'm where I live right now because I'm not really traveling to run, to drive somewhere. Yeah. It's just not worth it, you know? And I don't know every place either. So once it, once summer comes around and spring comes around, um, I'm definitely going to be exploring. I mean, what's, what's in front of me is huge you know all the san juan range so i'll be I'm getting some new stuff out there when the summer comes yeah yeah uh, and uh i mean should be awesome you can just go and play on the hard rock course pretty much i mean it's right down the road <laughs> yeah 
I mean, Ure, Ure is, um, it's like 20 minute drive to Ure from my house. Wow. So it's, that's very, you know, it's very close. And then all the other trails that are around the hard rock course, I mean, there's an incredible network of trails, as you can imagine. And I'll probably, I'll probably won't stay on, won't really run on the hard rock course much, but all the other stuff is incredible. Yeah. You know, it's uh, all big high altitude stuff. It's great stuff. Nice. Nice. And have yeah. you got yourself in yeah. any races? Um, well, I mean, I was, I, you know, in early February, I did go run the Grandmaster Ultra, which was in Mesquite, but my leg wasn't right when I started. Um, and I knew, like, I just want, I just went there to finish. So, incredibly, the hardest thing, Ian, was <laughs> um, the goal was only to finish. Because I had this goal of finishing 100 hundreds, which is a pretty lofty goal. But at the same time, the idea, the idea was to yeah. finish. So, I, Ian, I walked. I walked the first 20 miles without jogging a step. And that was probably the hardest thing I've ever done because it's just, <laughs> I mean, it's just, you know, three and a half miles an hour. Right. So, um, man, that was tough. Yeah. And then I started jogging. I was like, man, I can't, I can't walk anymore. I got to jog. I got to see how it goes. And I started jogging and I went, I actually felt okay. I'm like, all right. So I'm running jogging like, you know, nine thirty miles or something. Cause it's pretty flat and easy. And then all of a sudden, right before I got to the aid station, mile 28, the same injury issue, just all of a sudden it just kind of popped, not really popped as in like something popped, but it just like all of a sudden it was like, Whoa, you know what happened there? And I was like, I'm out. So I just, I just put my tail between my legs and went home. Um, and then since then, I've just, uh, like I said, I've, I was back in Salt Lake, and then I came over here to Colorado, and now I'm just sort of working on our house and walking around a lot, trying to resolve it. But it's it's just not really going away. It's it's kind of a weird. It's a, the back of my knee up about three inches to the outside a little bit. The location, if you were a doctor, I would if I was telling a doctor, I would say it's where the sciatic nerve branches into the perineal nerve. It's in that location. I've had that diagnosed before on my other leg. So that's kind of what I think it is, but it, but again, I don't really know. You know, um, it's just dull ache. Yeah, and sometimes that can, yeah, that can come from your yeah, lower back as well. Yeah, absolutely, and and I'm trying to figure out, you know, where the source is. Why is why is that happening? When it initially happened, I was jogging with Mike Mason, a friend of mine here in in Colorado. I mean, we were going really slow, just jogging along, like shooting the shit, and. I mean, I wasn't even going anywhere. All of a sudden, I came around a corner, and it was like I dropped—I dropped to the ground because it, it hurt. So it felt like a guitar string got caught on a branch, and then it went ping. That's—I mean, if that describes how it felt. Um, and then I, I like—I walked to the parking lot. Mike went back to the house and picked me up in a car. So I don't know. Um, frustrating as frustrating can be. <laughs> I mean, I might. You know, yeah, that, that that's in annoying. my head. I want to run. I want to go just you know run, and I don't care how fast I go. I just want to jog the races out, but I can't right now. So I'm just you know is what it is. <laughs> Keep working on the house. Got to be, be patient. patient. Yep. Got to be patient. Uh, and and look, if if anything uh, needs reaffirming or proving, is I mean, look what happened. Um, at uh, Aravapa's event this last weekend when uh, 
there was a couple of 80 year olds back battling it out for <laughs> for right, their own victories right. so just goes to show you that you can keep going way 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 into your into your yeah that would years. be incredible i mean those guys like hats off to every ghost guy that started i mean and you know under 30 hours I don't care if it's all downhill, <laughs> yeah. you know, like that's incredible. Da- David Blaylock, right. I think. And, um, yeah, yeah, that was, that was the highlight of that race really. I mean, they call it USATF, you know, hundred mile championships, but that's really not the race there. The race was that 80, 80 and over age group. That was really, really cool. Yeah. I mean, as you said, it was David Blaylock who was aged 80 and Edward Russo. Yep. And, uh, he's right. 83. And in the final five miles, they were like battling it out. And, um, David won in 29, 47, yeah. 29. And Edward was second in 30, 09, 08, just 20 minutes yeah. behind the winner. Um, so who would have thought at 80 or, or in your eighties, you'd be battling it out for your right. age group win? I mean, I'd love to say I could <laughs> do that brilliant. later, but I don't know if I want to. Um, yeah, yeah. No, and like you said, sub thirty hours. I mean, that is like that's like that's like a really really good time. Most people would be happy going under thirty hours. Never mind being eighty and going three under and a half miles hours. an hour. Right, that's about the pace, and that is yeah. It, that's what yeah. I've been walking and jogging around Colorado right now, and I can't. I wouldn't be able to do that for hundred. So right now, so I think it's yeah. It's it's really. Uh, it's incredible what those guys did. I'm so hats off to those guys. Incredible. Yeah, and and the thing was, Carl, is that they weren't the only two. There was four of them. Right, right. The field uh, was back. Yeah, there was Ian uh, Ian Madison, also aged yep. eighty, and David yep. Tref- Trefectani or Trefectanti, yep. also eighty, uh, eighty-one. Um, so <laughs> I, I don't know yeah. what's going on in that part of the world, but but. How how on how how many races worldwide would you think of a hundred miles that you would have four or five eighty year olds towing the line? I mean that must be pretty rare. Oh, it's, I mean I would say zero. <laughs> yeah. You know, if if there was yeah, I mean this was the only one, and I think uh, it's just it just even over seventy is like rare. You know, um, yeah. even even to say. Even at that Grandmaster Ultra, which is 15 over kind of race, um, and call it an age group race, whatever. But um, I don't think there were more than two or three guys that were over 70 in that race. There were a yeah. couple, um, but not, but not, not 80. And that race was there was a little bit of technicality to it, but generally speaking, it's pretty easy. Um, you know, I mean, I know that the jackpot race it's smoother. So there's no challenges like that. Like Fred Abramowitz, who's the you know the Run Rabbit Run RD, I went down to yep. the Grandmaster with him actually, and and he's just like you know his goal was just to finish, and he was doing he was probably would have done it in 30 hours. He ended up dropping at like mile 80 something, but he, he mentioned to me that you know it's not that he couldn't have done it; it's the technicality that slows him down, you know. If yep. It's really because he just is not as agile. Obviously, not as agile as younger younger people so you just can't travel over the rockier stuff um as fast and but he put on a cor- on a smoother course and those four guys that uh at jackpot showed it showed that it can be done you know i think Fred always tells me it's his last one but he's now he's looking into another one so, <laughs> um you know how that goes right um yeah so absolutely yeah we'll see how that pans out but 
Yeah. Well, I mean, it is still only March, early March, so so mm-hmm. we're new into the year. There's there's obviously not a great amount of racing going on, but is there anything that's that's taken your eye that's made you sort of look and think, wow? Well, I mean, not really. I'm kind of just, you know, I think because I've I've been struggling with my own running, I haven't really been following as much because I'm just more frustrated on myself. Um, that we'll see what happens. I mean, I think. You know, the big races are, are going to be around the corner pretty soon. I think it's interesting to see what will happen with Western states. There's so much snow in California. Yep. As well as Utah, you know, that's, that's going to, it's going to impact that race. But I mean, uh, I don't know. I think, I think over the years, have we, have we talked all these years? Like it's getting more and more competitive and people are more <laughs> and more and totally and they're specializing yeah. more on just a we're, few we're, events. We're sounding like two old dogs repeating ourselves. It's getting more and more well, competitive. <laughs> it's getting faster. It's uh, that's just that's just a sign, Carl, that you and I are getting much much slower and everything is faster. Yeah, I think that's the case. <laughs> that may be the case. I'm just getting a lot slower, but but that's okay. Um, it's great to watch what people are doing and, and like the the boundaries that people are going going through and past and stuff these days are just. Um, crazy you know i've always when i was younger like 20 30 years ago i've always said like you know you can run this fast in some 17 mile race which was around salt lake why can't you do that for 100 miles yeah. and now i think the guys are proving that you, you can do it for 100 miles or 50 miles or whatever um it's just really really changed um it, yeah. you know i mean it's fun to see it's fun to see records be destroyed like you know like when I was in my heyday, like, oh, that'll never be beaten. But, I mean, that was five hours faster at Hard Rock. And I always said yeah. that before, but it's like it's yeah. nuts how much better the guys are. Yeah, t- times change. And, and I think um, I think what's significant about the interview on this show, it, it's Courtney DeWalter. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, Courtney in the last five, six, seven years is is – rewriting history for for not only women's ultra running but ultra running um yeah you know she she's impacting on the way that we look at at the male sport as as well as the female sport and i didn't ask the question because i didn't feel as though it was it was right um because courtney is very um I think she gets a little bit embarrassed about some of the accolades that may get thrown at her. Um, and I, mm-hmm. I felt that in the interview, it was better to just let her talk about, about what makes her tick. And, and, and she kept saying, you know, I'm not bothered about winning. I'm not bothered about winning. And I thought that was interesting because, um, her, her journey is about challenging herself with different races. And actually, sometimes the, the rewards come from not knowing if she will finish, which is why she enters so many different types of events, you know, from, right. from Zagama to, to Backyard Ultra to 200 plus mile races to UTMB to Western States. I mean, they're all different races that require different mm-hmm. skills. And she likes to try and find out, A, can she do them? Can she be good at them and, and how to improve? And and I picked up on a Twitter thread recently comparing Courtney to Anne Trayson. Uh, mm-hmm. And I just thought you, you can't really compare them anymore because no. – what Anne did was, of course, absolutely incredible, but but it's a it's a moment in time that is now so long ago that the sport has moved. And and if we talk about the men, like Scott Yorick winning 
Western seven times. I don't think it's possible for for a man to now come along and win Western States seven times because the competition is too high every year. Um, and there's so many different races that not many people want to do the same race for seven years on the run. Well, exactly. I think, I mean, I think it's great for her to expand to like, you know, Trans Grand Canaria to the Reunion Island, right? She ran over yep. there. I mean, it's all over the place. I mean, UTMB, of course, and like, and just all over the, everywhere. It's great. I mean, she just, she's living her life the way I, I mean, my opinion is like really cool because she's travel. She's getting to travel around and see all these other places too. And just expanding their horizons. Right. I mean, I don't probably don't see her running around a track too often. No, uh, for but, 24 she, but, hours. She, but she has but done it. Okay. <laughs> right. And she's done very well at it. And she ran yep. 159 miles or something. So it's no slacker at all. No. Um, yeah. She's definitely um, just like you said, comparing to Ann Trace and, and was ahead of her day, ahead of her time, you know, um, in terms of racing other women. But there really weren't there many women out there. Yet she was still throwing down fast times. I mean, her 100K world times, things like that were incredible. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it, again, it's a different era. I mean, like I said, you know, my hard rock and now it's five years. So it's just a different era. And but it's fun, you know, from my perspective, it was great to be somewhat dominating for a long, little while. I think it's a couple of years or something. And then and then move on to do other things. I think she's dominating now, and I don't think, I mean, think she's trying to dominate, but it's just kind of falling in her lap because she's so so good. It doesn't seem like she's been injured at all really that much, maybe no. to really hold her back. So that's another bonus too. I mean, when you go for years and years of not really having something that, you know, hits you with a hammer and knocks you backwards, um, yeah, it's incredible. You know, it's, it's yeah. great to see someone having to have a career like that. Well, she said in the interview that, that life is short, and there's too many races, so you have to try and do all of them. Um, and I, I, I love that because, you know, she's she's not going to say, I'm going to 100 miles, I'm just going to do 100 miles. She's happy right. to throw herself into a short, fast Sagama, which is really completely out of her wheelhouse. And she still did yeah. top 10. Um, right. Or right. she'll go to um, Diagonal de Fou, where you can't use poles. And so she had to train differently so that she could, get used to the climbing without using poles and of course uh racing in in that type of environment is very different to to the u.s and then going to western states which is in theory a running race and what's interesting yeah. is she's going back to western states this year uh, and i sort of said why why are you going back and she said well because i've i've progressed and i've learned and I think I need, I now know how to go deeper into the pain cave for Western States. And yeah. I started laughing and thinking all the other competition, including the men, are now holding their heads in their hands going, oh no, Courtney's going in the pain cave. Um, because <laughs> that can only mean pain for everybody else. Hey, I think that's funny when, when Pam, Pam Smith, came in 10th overall at, at Western and I was 11th and she passed yeah. me real close to 10. I mean, that's awesome. Like that's Courtney, you know, top 10 men. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, no question that that's not that that's possible. Oh, for sure. Uh, absolutely. And I think that that's killer that, you know, that she's at that level. I mean, again, I've run against Courtney. Well, not really against Courtney, but in the same race as Courtney a couple of times and both times she's beaten me. And I think it's, 
she passed me late in the race and she's just she's a, she's a robot you know yeah i mean she's yeah. autopilot I mean, if you if you look at courtney's results over let's just take the last 12 months uh there's not very often that she's not in the top 10 overall yeah um yeah. I, I mean you know Trans Grand Canaria recently, where she was the first woman ever to go under fifteen hours, set the set the course record, and she was easily in in the top ten. and And past winners like Pau Capel was looking over his shoulder, thinking, hey, "Courtney's right. coming," you know. Right. Um, so it just goes to show you at what level she is racing at. Um, but let's go to the interview with Courtney. Let, let her tell you about her story. Uh, and I think you'll find it a really insightful, interesting chat. Here she is. This is Talk Ultra. How's it going? Very, very good. How are you? Good. I'm sorry we didn't we didn't get to see each other more on uh, Gran Canaria. <laughs> well, that always happens. It's uh, it, it's a crazy time, and I wasn't actually at the finish because um, I was I was working alongside Jordi Saragossa, and mm -hmm. and I'd agreed with Jordi that he could go to the finish and I'd stay out on the course. So uh, okay. so by the time you'd finished and by the time I got back, you were probably showered and asleep. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Man, what a beautiful place. It was our first visit and we were like, we have to come back here. It's so cool. Yeah, it, it, it's an interesting island um, because I think a lot of people think it's going to be like Madeira, but it's not. And and of course you mm -hmm. did Madeira last year, so you so you, you had it fresh in your mind in that you could compare the two. Um, but what is it that you liked about it? Uh I I think I, we liked um, like the variety of you know trails and terrain, and even just the plant life was so different depending on where you were on the island, or yeah. you know if you were up high and you're in the pine forest, which were really unexpected to us. Um, or down low and it was, you know, cactus and palm trees. So we loved that. Uh, I think the just trails felt like they went everywhere. Yeah. When we spent a week in Tejeda beforehand, uh, we were, you know, blown away just by the trail infrastructure and that there were like these junction signs everywhere. And it felt like you could go in any direction and make these huge, you know, loops if you wanted to. Yeah. It's funny because last week I was at Black Canyon mm -hmm. and I saw similarities with Gran Canaria in particularly in the, in the lower sections where you have the, the pine and the, the cactus and, and some of it felt quite Arizona like, even though the higher ground is very, very different. It, I'm guessing it probably felt a little bit like home as well for you, didn't it? Yeah. Some parts of it for sure. Are we? Yeah, some parts I would get the, you know, California vibes if it was, you know, smooth trails yeah. through some pine forest or for sure there were sections um, that I had done with my husband in the week before where we were like, this feels like some of the trails we run in Arizona before. So we were getting all sorts of uh, different, like, it was jogging our memory in a lot of ways, but it was also 
feeling really unique and special to be there. Got to ask the question, if you like the island so much, are you tempted by the 360? (laughs) I mean, yes. You say any race and I'll say I'm absolutely tempted, but (laughs) I should look that one up and learn a little bit more about it. Well, the the 360 is basically the, the, the full loop of the island. So instead of going from north to south, you go all the way around the perimeter. I love it. It's made for you. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember what the exact distance is. I should. I, I will Google it while we're talking. Um, but 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 that race is in November and. Oh, I bet that's a great time to visit. Yeah. So, you know, you, you, you start at one point of the island and basically go all the way around the edge until you're back where you started. Um, I love that. It's got Very your, clever. it's got your name on it. It's got your name on it. Um, and talking of your name on it, um, let's talk about you and your crazy career. Oh boy. I have to be honest, you know, I've been in this sport since 2008 and sort of like really, really active since 2010, 2011, which is when my podcast started. And of course, the Courtney DeWalter name has always been around, but I wasn't quite aware when I first started to, you know, for it first to really come on my radar. And I thought, okay, I, I, I need to go to Ultra Sign Up and find out, you know, when it all started for you. And I was surprised, actually, it went so far back. <laughs> <laughs> you, you've been running ultras for a very, very, very long time. And, and I have to say that, all right, of course, a lot of it was in America, but, you know, ultra sign up goes back to 2011. And, and in my mind, I was thinking it was going to be more like 2016. Yeah. I, um, did my first 50k in 2011 and, and that was just like, uh, it happened to be in a park near where I was living. And, um, I knew some people who were going to sign up for it. And I had just finished my first road marathon and, you know, was blown away that I had made it 26.2 miles. And yeah. so it was just kind of this perfect storm of like, well, why not try 31 miles? Like I thought 26 would kill me and it didn't. So let's see if 31 miles is the thing, you know, that does me in. Um, so I just like kind of stumbled into it and it uh, opened up the whole ultra running world to me. I didn't know ultra running was a thing. I didn't know people were doing these huge adventures out in the mountains or, you know, across the desert. Like yeah. I had no idea people were running a hundred miles at a time. And so after doing that 50 K it just, uh, opened that world to me. And, um, instantly I was like, well, 31 miles didn't kill me. So what's the next distance I could try? <laughs> um, is there a part of your DNA that is looking for something that will break you? Uh, for sure. It's, uh, one of the things that keeps me signing up for really hard sounding races or really long ones is I want to see what's possible and I don't know what that limit is yet. And so, yeah, I'm looking for it, but I mean, hopefully to tell you the truth, I don't find it, but (laughs) I want to keep on, on uh, pushing myself to just see what's possible and um, see what can happen when I combine 
like the mental side and the physical side. I think both of those are really intriguing to me and how they can work together. One of the things that fascinates me, and, and it came up on Twitter after Trans Gran Canaria, because there was obviously plenty of posts about your incredible run and how once again you you threatened the men in the race and and how... Uh, you've now got the title of the GOAT, the greatest of all time. And, and I'm guessing that you sort of like will wince a little bit with me using that. But but I, I've used it as well, because I think I think the breadth of your results and the variety of your results is is incredible. And John Kelly said that that was the thing that impressed him most about you was that you know you weren't just good at 100 miles but but you're good at whatever you throw yourself into and you are prepared to throw yourself into things that maybe you're not going to be as good at as say a 100 miler is is, is that part of the attraction for you absolutely i um i i don't care about results or you know at the end of it all i don't need anyone to remember a single race I did I just want to keep trying things and and seeing because uh we have this you know one life to live and I want to live it full on and uh sign up for things that excite me so signing up for something like Zagama last year I knew you know like this is so far out of uh the thing that I feel like comfortable with but that's exciting to me and I just want to try and see because why not I mean I have to admit I mean I I thought Zagama when when I saw your name and I thought wow that's not a Courtney race and (laughs) and 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 of course it came on on Twitter some of the predictions for the race and they were putting you on the podium and I was thinking to myself no no I mean Courtney's a great runner, but the podium at Zagama, and I was thinking, if you got top ten, you'd have had a great result, and and you got top ten. So I mean, you must have been super happy. <laughs> yeah, it, I uh, didn't expect it. I honestly didn't know where I would end up in that field, and um, it was so hard and so fun to try something different and to be pushed in a different way than the longer races do, and to just get to hang with the crowd that goes to that length race, you know, like the golden trail series racers and um, all of the runners who do that marathon and below mountain race distance, our world don't usually cross paths during race season because um, they're not, you know, signing up for the hundred milers and no. stuff. So it was just really cool to, to get to hang with a different part of the same community and, uh, test myself on uh, a different sort of race but I like at, at the end it's this really long downhill and I, I didn't know if my legs would keep up with the pace that <laughs> we were trying to run like I honestly thought I would face plant just because my legs would be like 10 feet behind me still because they couldn't churn fast enough to yeah. do the speed we were trying to do um, so yeah it was a cool learning experience and um, to watch them traverse over technical terrain or, um, you know, to throw down and redline for that marathon length distance is, it was really cool to, to have a front row seat to those performances. Interestingly, do you find a performance like Zagama 
and and making top 10 harder than say winning uh bigs backyard ultra uh i i don't compare races okay. in difficulty like that because i think everything can um you know be special and can be difficult and can push you in all sorts of different ways so um to compare them feels like impossible and okay. um yeah, I mean, like a big backyard type race or any sort of loop race is going to be a whole different mental game and a whole different strategy and problem solving game than a, a mountain marathon race that yeah. takes you however long, yeah. you know, less than six hours or whatever. And um, I think that's one of the coolest parts of the sport is that there are all of these different types of races possible for people to get excited about and sign up for like figure out what the thing is that fires you up and, and, you know, makes you like push yourself and uh, put in the energy and the time and, and then go for it. If that's a mountain race, if that's a short race, long race, a looped course, you know, whatever it is, there's no need to like, I don't know. There's no need to compare them in, in which is more difficult, yeah. I don't think. Yeah. Now, the only reason why I asked is that, that I often get, you know, ultra runners on this show and and I ask them, you know, what is the thing that they would dread most? And they normally say running 5K really hard because that, <laughs> you know, because that's painful, um, whereas they can run an ultra at a, at a comfortable pace and it's the time on the feet that becomes debilitating, not the speed. Um, and so I just wondered whether a Zagama type event would put you into that different type of pain cave that is obviously very, very different to something that takes uh, a couple of days. <laughs> yeah. I will say like standing on the start line of a short race feels like a little more um, like you just, feel it a little more yeah. than uh, standing on the start line of a race that you know is going to take over 24 hours. Yeah. Cause it's like, if a race is going to take over a day, the starting couple hundred meters is not mean nothing. Yeah. Exactly. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like on a, the start a line of, of the gamma, I was like, Oh my gosh, this start actually kind of matters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like at Trans Gran Canary, you can start relaxed. You can, you can take the first couple of hours easing into the race, find your rhythm and then get into your groove and, and, yeah, you you know, as long as you're keeping the front in contact, you can you can then catch up and move ahead. Whereas in Zagama, if if in the first thirty minutes you're not in contention, then you're never going to be in contention because you're not going to make that ground yeah. up. Um, <laughs> yeah. And and particularly at something like Zagama, which is so highly competitive. But I mean, you've done Pikes Peak, which is. Uh, has its own speed and uniqueness. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember. That was a few years ago. I did the uh, marathon, so I got to. Okay, um, I got to do the up and the down, which was super cool. It was fun to uh, do such a historic race, and also just to do a race on a fourteener like that is, yeah, it's cool. <laughs> now, one of the things that I I like when I was sort of looking back and doing my research is is that you're from Minnesota and uh, I haven't been to the US 
many times, but Minnesota I've been to five or six times because um, I know John Storkamp, the race director of Superior 100 and the Superior 4 races. So I've been over on those races multiple times and I, and I know that you've done Superior um, and notably you did it with your mum. Um, yeah. What was that experience like? Because I, I thought that was so cool. Uh, I mean, so cool oh for your mum, so cool for you to be able to have that time on home trails with a family yeah. member. I mean, that must have been an incredibly bonding experience. It was so special to, um, I mean, my mom, my mom is um, so wonderful and like always has been so supportive of me and I love her so much. And then to be able to share this sport that I love so much with this person that I love, you know, it was just like, yeah, it was a memory that um, I'll have forever. And it, it was, yeah, just kind of like, so it happened because someone had asked me if I could run an ultra with anyone in the world who, uh, who I would choose. Yeah. And instantly I said, my mom, like, I think that would be so fun. She cracks me up. Also, it would be cool to see her do an ultra on trails. You know, it was like a no brainer for me, but she had never run a trail race or um, done a trail ultra for sure. And so like a couple of days after I'd said that, she called me up and was like, which one are we signing up for? Like, let's do this. And I was like, what? That is amazing. Were you taken so, aback when she sort of made the phone call? Did you think that that was going to be a throwaway comment that would never happen? Uh, you know, I, I didn't think much of it when I said it. It was just the answer to me. You know, it was like, well, if I'm answering truthfully, it's my mom. Yeah. Um, and then in hindsight, though, the fact that she wanted to and was like totally in for it is shouldn't have been surprising. Like she's um, a go getter and like she loves the challenge, too. And so it shouldn't have, you know, been surprising that she was in for it. But when she called me and I was like, wait, are you serious? Like, OK, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> it was super cool. And then we picked superior because uh growing up in minnesota and having that have been superior was the first hundred mile race i finished so yep. it felt like this really cool full circle thing to then go try to do the 50 mile race with her on that same course uh it's tough though like yeah been out on those trails those, those superior are no trails joke. are pretty gnarly <laughs> <laughs> super nice <laughs> yeah i mean I, I i thought when i saw the post that the and, and this and and i almost was was a little bit annoyed with myself because i couldn't fit superior into my my schedule that year and then when i saw that you were doing it and i was thinking oh damn it would have been great to be at superior this year and then i thought wait a minute <laughs> courtney's doing the 50 with her mum those trails are pretty pretty gnarly for somebody who is coming to this sport yeah. maybe for the first time and if it's rained then they are awful how were the trails were, yeah. they, were they dry and in good condition um there was there had been some rain so they were uh, a little bit wet and they're also just so sneaky like if yeah. you've never been on them there are roots and rocks everywhere so your foot is never really landing flat and the climbing is just like 
these little kickers that just keep on, you know, a little bit up, a little bit down, a yeah. little bit up, a little bit down. It's like really hard to get into a rhythm. Um, so yeah, it was no joke of a course to choose as your first one, but um, it was so beautiful out there. And, and, you know, it starts in the dark. So we got to do the headlamp miles together yeah. and then see this sunrise over Lake Superior. And it was like, um, yeah, I don't know the makings of such a special day. Yeah. Now we, we didn't make it though. I know you didn't make yeah, it, we, but how did it yeah, go? Yeah, It went so well. It was, um, yeah, it was hard. Like doing those miles, it was tough. And, um, it was cool for her to like, I don't know, I guess it was cool to see it through fresh eyes again, because I have been doing this for so many years that like, you forget how unique it is to yeah. roll up to an aid station in the middle of nowhere and have them, you know, banging on cowbells and having Christmas lights strung up everywhere and just like all these food options. Like you forget some of those types of things. Yeah. Um, and so to do it with her being brand new to roll into an aid station was like so cool and like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Thank you. Like all the volunteers were so nice and um, then to be like navigating trails, like through the eyes of someone who hadn't ever really navigated trails like that before um, was, yeah, it was awesome. We missed the time cutoff. And so I think we ended up around mile 28 is when our day stopped. Okay. But almost immediately, my mom was like, I learned so much today. I'm coming I back. I have to try another. <laughs> so we've picked another race this year that we're going to do together and um, try and get her to that finish line. Awesome. That is that is so, so cool. Uh, you know, the the finish doesn't really matter, does it? Because it doesn't no. it doesn't impair the experience. It doesn't it doesn't negate the experience. It you, you That time is so, so special that it's not like any other time in your whole lives that you will have ever had before. Cause it, it's not the same, is it? It's not the same as sitting on the sofa and watching Netflix. It's a different type of conversation. It's a different type of experience. A thousand percent. Yeah. And, uh, I feel so lucky that she, you know, was in to try it the first time with me and is now amped to do it again. And, you know, she caught the bug that we all catch where it's like, oh, I learned so much. Like I just need to, you know, tweak a few things and do this and that. And then let's, you know, sign up for another because that's a community. That's an experience. That's a goal I want to have in my life. Please tell me you're not doing Barclay with her. No. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. Have you got a visualization of what that experience might be like? <laughs> I think if you do Barclay with your mum, we need a film crew. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Come on, what what is the race that you're going to do with your mum? Or are you keeping it secret? Uh, no, we're not keeping it secret. We're doing the Havelina 100K. Okay down in Arizona, the Air Viper race. Okay, yeah. So so those trails are going to be a little bit more friendly, aren't they? A little different type of trails, yeah, and a loop course. Um, so we're really excited to, to take on this 100K challenge together. 
And that race, you know, is like a party. Have you been to that one? No, I've not been to that one, but obviously I know Jamil and his crew and, and I've just been at Black Canyon. So I, yeah. I know, I know what you're in for. Well, you know what you're in for yeah. as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it will be really fun. That is cool. Really, really cool. Um, and then I, I live in Norway where, where skiing is obviously a really, really big thing. Uh, and that's your background. Nordic skiing and and what I find interesting is that when you start to look at a lot of the top mountain runners they they all have this reference to ski mountaineering Nordic skiing um how much of an important role has that played in your ultra running and and do you still practice nordic skiing i do still uh cross-country ski just for fun i haven't raced it in many 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 years um but i live in leadville colorado and we have a full-on winter um from you know anywhere like november to to march or april so um i am still nordic skiing i um I don't know exactly the impact it has on me now, like growing up doing it. I don't know how that domino affected to ultra running because I, you know, I can't compare to not Nordic skiing as a kid. Um, But what I do know is it's a super cool sport. And I um, feel lucky that I grew up in Minnesota where it's like, uh, Pretty much every high school has a cross-country ski team. Like there's meets every week, every weekend. There's, you know, groomed golf courses, groomed, you know, trails all over the place. So it's a very common sport. Um, and I feel very lucky for that because I think, you know, it's a great endurance, like engine builder. You learn a lot about training through doing that sport. Um, but I think the biggest impact I can think that it has on me now is that um, the coach I had in high school for Nordic skiing was like all about the mental side and that, um, that there's always one more gear. Like you think you've reached your limit and he would always teach us like, no, you've got one more gear. You've just got to crank the knob, you know, like (laughs) find a way to access it, but it's in there. And I think learning that as a kid and, you know, practicing that in an environment that felt like, you know, safe and fun and like, you know, our team was all about just like enjoying while working hard. So like it was fun to practice and to push really hard together because, you know, we were best friends and we had this coach who was super supportive of us, you know, finding our potential in this sport. Yeah. Um, so I'm super thankful for that because I think that was like the foundation of me understanding like the pain cave. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> the funny thing and- was I was just thinking that exact word because every Nordic skier I, I know in Norway, they only know the pain cave. <laughs> <laughs> they, yeah. they, they they literally redline every single race, even their training sessions. It's hard. They 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 are brutally brutal with themselves, and they just seem to be permanently in a pain cave. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it probably did set you up quite well. 
Um, have, have you ever been tempted by any of the, the really long Nordic skiing? I mean, you know, like Vasilopet, Vassal, uh, which is 100 kilometers. Yeah, for sure. Or the Berkebiner. Yeah. Um, we, uh, in high school, went over and did the, um, over in Wisconsin, did the Cordelopet. Okay. Like the mini mini version of the Berkebiner. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it would be really fun to try one of those long ones or yeah, come over to Norway and do some of that stuff because uh yeah, why not? Yeah, but why not? Life's would, too short. I, exactly. <laughs> I would want to um maybe like be a little more consistent with getting out on skis just to prepare yeah. for something yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I completely understand that. Yeah, for sure. Um when do you think uh, and this is a, 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 I guess, a tricky question to ask or for you to answer. But when do you think the pivotal moment was in your career where you started to gain more global recognition? Um, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> You're not bothered, are you? <laughs> it's only people like me that are bothered. You're not really bothered. You just run the races and, 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 and are happy doing it. But from my point of view, it's sort of like, I don't know. It's, it's, I, I look at your results and, and I guess up until sort of 2016, a lot of your races were US based and, and it's when, in 2017 you know maybe the the win at run rabbit or the moab 240 maybe moab because it's so long and it's so out there and and getting the win fourth overall that sort of pricks people's eyes up and and ears but but then you know western states in 2018 i i guess that's that's a significant moment where where you win one of those big iconic ultras that are known worldwide. I mean, what, what was that like in, in, in 2018 Western States? Um, I, I was super pumped to have the opportunity to race it. I had, you know, followed it for years, seen, you know, tons of friends go out and do it and track them and, you know, watch the results in awe and um, had like, had this kind of seed growing for me of like wondering, you know, could I do that race? Could I finish it? Um, what, you know, what could my feet do on that course? And, and then finally the seed sprouted and it was like, let's try, like, let's go for it and see. And um, I think I, uh, to get in, did a golden ticket <laughs> race to get my spot into it. And so like going into that year, it had been like Western States would be really cool, but let's see how this golden ticket race goes first, because I had no idea, you know, if I could even get myself a spot on the starting line in Olympic Valley and then to get it and to have that um, race, you know, finally be a thing that we got to try was, yeah, it was cool. We, it was so fun. And, um, I found the course to be really exciting. Like no one talks about the high country and how that's like pretty, like it feels very mountainy. Yeah. You know, that the first part of the course and then the canyons and um, then you're getting into that, those finishing miles. And it just felt like it had a fun variety where the day is just always kind of evolving and changing. And um, yeah, it was fun. 
none of us knew I had this crew out there and some pacers and it was all of our first times at the race. And so we were just like trying to soak up anything we could about how to crew it, you know, where should my crew be or um, what the sections were because I hadn't really gone out to see the course beforehand. So it was a good learning experience for us all. And you're going back to Western this year. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm guessing you're, you, you're, you're super stoked about that. Um, and it's looking as oh though gosh. it could be a tricky year. <laughs> it seems <laughs> the as though there's going to be a lot of snow. <laughs> I am, like, my mind is blown. Every day on the news, there are just more pictures and videos from the California storms that are hitting. I'm like, people have snow up to their second story. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> it's just insane. Yeah, so we'll see what the course is like. Um, you know, no matter what what happens, it will be fun to try to get from Olympic Valley to that Auburn track. Now, if I look at your list of races or race results from 2018, the, the variety is, is phenomenal. Um, and I'm just going to ream a few off so that the listeners get a perspective here. So you've got Madeira Island Ultra Trail, um, IAU 24-hour World Championships, Big Big Dog Backyard Ultra, the Barclay, um, UTMB, Hard Rock, Ultra Trail Cape Town, um, and recently Trans Gran Canaria, and last year Grand Raid the Reunion. I mean, th- there's a consistency, I guess, with some of those events in that they're all pretty tough. <laughs> they're all pretty gnarly. <laughs> they're all hard. Um, and then you throw in a couple of like 200, 240 milers. Um, how, how do you train for these things? Or, or do you, or do you not really train for them? Is it just a lifestyle? Uh, well, I, I would guess, I guess I could say that um, it's kind of a lifestyle because during 2020, when there really were no races, I would say I was still training the same just because I love training. Like I, I love that. And I love um, the big adventure days in the mountains. I love, you know, pushing hard or doing, you know, hill repeats just for fun because it feels like a good day to do it. So it's kind of a lifestyle, but um, I have been trying to learn over the years how to train better. Like it's a, I don't have a coach or a plan, but I just like tinkering with this puzzle myself and playing around with the pieces and, you know, adding things in, taking things out, like seeing what works the best for me and how my body responds to, to different sorts of things. So um, I would say how I train for things is I have like a core uh, set of types of runs or workouts that I'll do no matter what, yeah. like regardless of the race I'm signed up for and okay. getting ready for. Um, but then I will uh, know something about the course and what makes it uniquely hard that I'll try to prepare for while I'm here in Colorado as you know, whatever that looks like. So for like diagonal the food grand raid, for example, um, there's no poles allowed, but there's like a boatload of climbing. Yep. And so it was just being cognizant of that and like 
okay, I should go out and do some days in the mountains, but with my hands on my knees. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So it was trying to like get my legs as prepared as possible for that specific part of that course. But otherwise, like the core things I'll do are the same if it's Grand Raid or if it's, you know, big backyard, it will be the exact same in that core bit of the training. Okay. Can I press you on what, what the, the core bits of training are? Can you give us a, a, an idea an insight of what that might look like? Um, you can, I don't know that I even like can articulate it, (laughs) but, um, (laughs) nothing's written down. I just, have found like the sweet spot of mileage that feels good per week that I'll stick with and, um, you know, different types of intervals, but a lot of times they're uh, uphill and on trail and maybe like, you know, four to six minutes long is a interval type that I'll do pretty frequently. Okay. Um, yeah. And otherwise I guess it's just like the general, runs I'll do or the general like type of terrain I'm on and the general mileage I'll hit each week is pretty core no matter what the race I'm preparing for is. Okay so I'm guessing that that say a western states preparation is going to be very different to say a diagonal day food preparation just because um the vert, the technicality is going to be so much more diagonal, whereas Westerns are much more running race. And so therefore you'll do more running in a Western prep phase. Yeah, I think that will be the the unique thing about the Western States course that I'll have in mind in my preparation for it is like, it's a running race, you know, you got to have some speed. And if I can get some heat, training in i'll try to do that because that's another unique bit about western states usually yeah unless you know unless we're wading through like waist deep snow then (laughs) then who knows (laughs) i think the early parts of the course are definitely going to have some of that um which which will only make the heat feel even more intense when it comes Um, yeah going from from the the sort of like the sublime and the ordinary of of western and diagonal and going to the crazy of uh backyard ultra or barkley um it's obvious why you do it because life is too short and and why not do it and it is the the so crazy uh mental uh both physically and brain wise events um what is the thing that that makes you say with a backyard what what is the ability for you to get up each hour and put yourself on a loop and keep going and keep going and keep going um and do it better than in theory everybody else maybe apart from whoever might win if you don't win (laughs) (laughs) um it's that's the cool part of that race format is um you know Laz has uh, this unique ability to create these events that allow you to push yourself past what you think is possible. And so for the backyard format race, when you're sitting there in that camp, all you have to think about is one lap. And so it's never thinking about 
200 miles or what's going to happen on day three or how will I ever continue? It's like this very compartmentalized chunk that like all you have to think about is getting onto that start line and starting one more lap. And then when you're on that lap, like all you're trying to do is get to the end of that lap and not think about anything past that. Um, And it, it always feels possible. I think like, I mean, it obviously doesn't always feel possible sometimes that getting to the start line feels really, really hard, but it's surprising what you can do when you only think about one more lap. Like I remember the first time I went out to Big's backyard, we were on day one on the trail loop and someone I was running near was saying, you know, this is my first time I'm going to try to get a marathon. Like they were there just to keep doing those four mile loops to accumulate their first marathon. And they ended up surprising themselves and running, I think a hundred K or something like when all they were thinking about was doing one more four mile loop, they passed that marathon mark that they had been, you know, hoping to complete and just kept going. They were like, well, you know, one more lap is possible. Oh, I can do one more lap. You know, it always feels like, uh, just try and see. Um, I also remember, uh, maybe one of the, like the second year I was at Big's backyard and we were well into, you know, night two or whatever. And it hadn't even, it had stopped becoming a conscious choice. I was like just reacting to the time and he blows these whistles and, you know, rings the bell to make you go. And I had gotten into like this robot mode where I was just responding to his whistles like a, a robot and not even like thinking that it was an option to not go out on the loop. It was like he blows a whistle and I stand up and I go to the starting <laughs> corral, yeah. you know, like, yeah. like that experiment with the dog where it drools when it hears the bell or whatever. Yeah. I yeah. don't know. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? But I can sort of understand how that can happen in in something that is taking so long is that you're just a shell, aren't you, at some point where the only thing that you've known is a whistle going and then you go to a line and start until you've done a loop and then you sit down for a little bit and then the whistle goes and you do it again. Um, Exactly. (laughs) How how, how long does, does it take to recover from an event like that? That one um, for sure takes a toll on your whole body. Like maybe your quads aren't as beat up as they get in a, a you know, faster hundred mile race or something like that. But uh, your whole body, at least mine just felt this kind of like deeper fatigue for a while after it, because um, yeah, it's like, a mental game where you're just like your mental powers are draining, you know, and you're fighting your brain through those really dark moments quite a bit. And your sleep isn't like your time is not yours anymore. You don't get to choose when to sleep. You don't get to choose, you know, what's convenient. You're just responding to these whistles and you have to go when it says go. 
And so it uh, feels like it takes like this more full body mental toll on you than than a hundred mile race in the mountains might. Uh, and Barkley. <laughs> okay, so unfinished business at Barkley. I'm guessing that you you want to go back and and at least try again to finish five. Um, how, how feasible? Uh, do you think it is? And, and that's a loaded question because it obviously is feasible because people have finished it. But how feasible do you think it I is for I am you? still very intrigued by Barkley and definitely hope to be given the chance to go back another year and to keep learning and keep on trying to put those pieces together and um, get as many laps as possible. I've... Uh, yeah, I mean, of course, I I think it's feasible to finish five loops, but I think um, the two times I've done it so far, I've gotten out onto the second loop. And so, like, I clearly have, you know, still a lot of the pieces to figure out to get myself over that edge of, like, getting out onto lap four, you know, would be like, you're getting there, you know, but... Um, to be out on lap two is like very far <laughs> from a lap five finish of it. So I have a lot to learn yeah. Yeah. out there and with just that type of terrain and that type of challenge. And that has me still very intrigued by it because it is so different and it's so difficult. And um, yeah, like if I never finish it, that's fine. Like if I can try a few more times and just like, keep on pushing myself a little bit more to get maybe a little farther on it or, you know, to improve something about my like off trail terrain running or my navigation, like any of that would be, that would be pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. So is there any success for you in, in say a fun run at the Barclay or is it all about I, the five? I mean, I think anyone lining up there is going to tell you that it's about the five. The fun run is for sure, yeah, yeah. you know, like knocking past that third lap would feel super good. And if I could do that, like that would, uh, you know, help the momentum to get towards that five lap finish. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy out there. My, my <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you need to give Jared Campbell a, a telephone call and ask him to, to come back and, and, then you can sort of like at least pick the brains of a, of somebody who's got three finishes. Um, that, that, cause that seems to be the way, isn't it? Um, a lot of, of, of success has come from people's ability to stick with and pick the brains of the people who've gone before. And that seems an integral part of the bar. Yeah, for sure. And like last year on lap one, I got to, um, kind of stick around a group that knew very much what they were doing and they were really good at the navigation. And so lap one, I was, you know, trying to stay with them so that I could soak up their wisdom. You know, I, John Kelly was in that group and he's so nice yep. and knows that park so well. So he's like, you know, pointing out a rock here or a tree there, you know, things <laughs> to notice like as the laps keep going and maybe we're not together. And then, uh, yep. So I'm like, yes, like 
I see that rock, you know, I see the moss, whatever. And then lap two comes and <laughs> I'm not with that group anymore. And the weather turned. You're going in the opposite direction. Well, it was the same direction this time, but the weather turned. Oh, was it? And you couldn't okay. see your hand in front of your face suddenly. And I'm like, oh, okay. forget a rock. <laughs> like, <laughs> what use is that? <laughs> so um, I think more, just more time and experience out there is key also. Like the more you know that terrain and that park, like accumulating years of, you know, one, two, three laps, like not finishing it ever, but just like gaining that knowledge is, is huge and could be really helpful. So uh, it's one of those multi-year type projects for sure for most people. So one of the things that, that, that always comes to mind when I see you on the trail is, is you've just got this huge smile. It, it, it seems as though you're just permanently enjoying every moment uh, even when you're in the pain. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a funny moment at, at Gran Canaria. You were coming up to Rockway Nublio and Jordi Saragosa, a photographer friend of mine, was just in front of me and he was hiding behind a rock so he wasn't in my photograph and I, <laughs> I was behind as you were coming up. And I, I, <laughs> I heard him say to you something about the cookies. <laughs> And like you, you were like, oh, damn, you've got no cookies <laughs> or whatever it was. And I was just thinking, this is great because, you know, you, you, you're halfway through a really, really challenging race and you've still got sense of humor. You've still got an ability to smile. Uh, I know that you're in the lead, but, but that doesn't always mean that it's going well. Um, it, it seems so important that you have this aura of happiness about you and it, it almost seems as though if if you weren't smiling if you weren't having a good time you wouldn't do this type of racing um you don't mind suffering you like being in the pain cave but you like to smile while you're doing it is that right yeah yeah well yes i i <laughs> so i think you can do both things at once i think you can be in your pain cave and in really really dark moments pushing yourself really hard but you can still smile and enjoy and, um, you know, chat with the people around you or, um, yeah, laugh at a joke about cookies from the photographer. Like, <laughs> I think uh, all of it can happen <laughs> at the same time. And in addition to that, I do find racing and the pain cave and pushing myself to be fun. Like, I... I'm signing up for these difficult things because it's fun to me to try my hardest at them and to see what's possible. And having it stay fun is hugely important to me um, because like, like we've said, you know, we get this one life. So um, if it ever became suddenly not fun and like a, a chore or like I was dreading it, then you know, I would do some like soul searching of, you know, what's got to change so that life is enjoyable. And I like the things that I'm spending yeah. my time doing. Do, do you learn more when things don't go right? Uh, yeah, I think, yeah, usually I think you learn a lot when things don't go right. And so when you're looking at your next event, 
okay, let, let's forget Western states and hard rock because you've been there before. Uh, but, but I guess it is connected. So l let me rephrase this. When you go back to Western states and hard rock, what is the purpose now? Because I, I'm assuming that it's different to what it was the first time round, because it's a new race, it's a new challenge. Now that you've done them, what is it this time? Is it to go faster? Is it, is it to, to, I don't know, put yourself in a different type of pain cave? My hope is that um, every year I'm getting a little more capable of pushing farther into that pain cave. So my hope is, Okay. Like if I ran Western States in 2018, um, that I'm, my cave is much bigger than it was in 2018. And so in theory, I would be able to, you know, push a little more or um, access parts of my mental strength that I wasn't able to access before. And my hope is that over those last however many years, I've, you know, learned how to train better and have just grown my strength and endurance physically so that I'm coming into it yeah. different than I was. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm laughing because I, I, it, all, all those competitors who are now going to Western States this year are holding their heads in their hands going, oh, no, <laughs> Courtney, Courtney wants to go deeper into her bike. <laughs> I think we all do this. Which, which can only mean trouble for everybody else. <laughs> um, but also this summer, like one of the cool parts of the challenge is that it's the combination of Western States and hard rock. Yeah. So I'm really interested yeah. in that and like what those three weeks between look like and how to execute these two races as you know, well as I can in one summer. Yeah. I mean, at least it's three weeks this year and not two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like that perspective. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So, so there's a pos positive straight away. Yeah, you know, you. <laughs> you, you've got an extra week. <laughs> um, look, looking ahead to to the future, um, and maybe you don't know the answer to this, but does going longer and longer appeal? So, a, a natural progression, I guess, would be taking on some of the long trails, whether it's the Appalachian or you know, whatever. Um, but what tends to happen when, when ultra runners take on the really long trails is that they inevitably will lose some speed and some other aspects of the ultra running ability. So, so therefore, is it something that will come later for you or is there a plan that maybe you will take on something like this in the not too distant future? I think those long trails are, so crazy cool sounding um but for sure they're a huge toll on your body and your brain and you know the season in general because it's going to take yeah. this huge chunk out of it for uh, a project like that um and like the number of races that are out there that i still you know really want to try basically <laughs> yeah there's any a, race the calendar's day. big <laughs> <laughs> I would like to try. And so it's, um, if I could, I would like there to be a second June, July, August, September, October of every year, like two of those. 
<laughs> would be great. But because there isn't, um, there is like some prioritizing that has to happen. And yeah. currently the longest uh, version that is really intriguing to me for the near future would be the Colorado Trail, which is 500 okay. miles. Yeah. And um, I think it's just like, yeah, it's so interesting what is possible with a race that or a run that takes like a week about and what you yeah. do with the sleep yeah. game and the pacing and like all of those factors. So that's currently like as long as they get on my near future wish list. But someday okay. I, I think, you know, the PCT would be really cool. The uh, AT, I don't, yeah. I mean, those people who do those trails are really inspiring. And what about stage racing? Um, you know, uh, uh, the thing is a 250k stage race. You'd probably rather do it in a day <laughs> or a couple of, or a couple of days. You just just prefer to start and just keep going until you finish. Well, that's why they're intriguing because I think that is the hard part of a stage race yeah. is that you have to stop, and so then you have to start again, which means the gears get a little bit creaky probably after a couple of days of that. Um, so I think stage racing is really cool. And uh, for sure have been looking at a few different stage races that I would like to try at some point. Well, you, you, you know, the classics are snow, sand, mountain, and tropical. Which one would you go for if you had to go for Yes. <laughs> is that an answer between you and me is, is, is that our secret That's answer all of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't know which what do you think uh, uh like which well the, i mean the thing is, do you is, think are is, is i guess the one that would um that is the trickiest and maybe the one that would challenge you the most would be ice in the sense of if you took on one of the real cold ones where it's minus 40, mm -hmm. um, although it does get pretty damn cold in Minnesota, doesn't it? Um, well, not, not quite that <laughs> not cold. Not quite that cold. But but I guess, <laughs> I, I mean, a desert, a desert race is hot, very Arizona-like, so you'd be familiar with that terrain. Mountain, you're familiar with mountains. So, you know, if you went to Nepal or wherever – yeah, nice place, but but you're familiar with it. Tropical maybe would would bring a different challenge. That hot, high mm -hmm. humidity, and then the opposite, the super cold. So I don't know. I think you're right. Do all four. Uh, and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> why choose? Why choose? Exactly. You can do you can do one a year for the next four years. Um, <laughs> look, I'm going to wind it up because I've taken an hour of your time and it, and it's been fantastic talking to you. And, and obviously there's just so many things that I could ask. Um, but one race in the future, dream race, what would it be? Oh gosh. Um, I don't know how to pick this one. Honestly, my list is basically just every race in the world that exists. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of races. There's got to be one. There There's got to be one that you've looked at and just think, you know what? I'd really like to do that. Yeah. Or a place. Is um, there a place that you want to go to that you've not been that you think, you know, I'd really love to go and run there? Yeah. I mean, 
where you are right no now, way. Norway in the summer, yeah, is like high on my list okay. to have that midnight sun and the fjords okay. and uh, the trails there. I like, have the race for you. Which one? Um, it's called the Arctic Triple. So okay. it takes place in June. It's 100 miles in Lofoten, which is arguably one of the most beautiful places in the world. And it's a point-to-point, 100-mile race going from one side of, of Lofoten, hopping from one island to the next to the finish line 100 miles away. Yeah, I just pulled up pictures and it looks incredible. It's a beautiful race. Beautiful race. Yeah. And, and that... I would love to try the that. The views there are unbelievable. Okay. So, so we're going to have a chat later and, and we'll, 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 yeah. <laughs> we'll get you to Lofoten in, in 24 or 25. <laughs> Courtney, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure chatting to you and, and thank you so much for being so open and honest with, with everything that you said. It's a, it's a real pleasure. Well, thank you so much. Hope to see you again soon. I'll see you at Western States. All right. Perfect. Cool. Thanks so much for your time, Courtney. This is Talk Ultra. Now, Carl, Courtney's going to go for the Western Hard Rock Double this year. Um, there mm-hmm. is three weeks be- between the two, which is obviously an advantage. Um, it is Courtney, so I do, I do have complete confidence that she will um, have. I was going to say no problems. That's unfair because anything can happen. But but yeah. but what do you think? I mean, let's assuming that she has a good Western States and say wins it. What sort of damage will that do to her to then go to Hard Rock, um, which is obviously more vertical? Um, in theory, it's a slower race, so less running um but it puts different physical demands and she's going to need lots of reserves for that race i think that i think the physical demand thing is actually to her advantage i think if western were after hard rock it would be different because it's a faster running race uh very different right so i think i think jeff browning's uh double record might have a chance to be broken by by courtney um not taking anything away from jeff's character but uh but at the same time it, it's it's the right uh, right order of races. I think that it can still work for her. I think because you know Western's fast. Let's let's hypothetically say that she runs sixteen thirty at Western, right? Which is a little bit faster than Ellie Greenwood's time. I think. Uh, let's say she runs that. She's got three weeks. Um, I think she'll recover if she's healthy going into it. I think she'll recover fast. I think she just has to play her cards right in between. My guess is she'll. Um, run Western, she does what she does, and then she'll probably, I mean, she lives at altitude a little bit anyway. Yeah. So I don't think she really has to go to Hard Rock to say, I need to acclimatize now. But, um, you know, I think it's to her advantage. I think she'll do, I think she'll probably, she will win both, honestly. Um, Hard Rock, like you said, it's a slower race. It's an uphill hiker's race. Yeah. I mean, granted, you run a little bit of uphill, some, some stuff, but at the same time, it is very, very different. It uses sort of let's say slightly different muscles if you want to, you know, sort of, sort of. So, um, I, th- I think it'll be just like it was for Jeff. I think she'll, she'll perform really well at both of them. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I think, 
Um, I think the competition for her is considerably less at Hard Rock. Um, and, and that, that takes the pressure off. Whereas the competition at Western is, is most certainly going to be fierce. Um, you know, I, I haven't looked at the full lineup yet, but I do know some of the women that are towing the line and, and certainly they can and will give Courtney uh, a run for her money. Um, interesting you said about maybe going under um, um, the course Ellie. record time, Ellie's time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It looks like that it's not going to be a course record year. I, I mean, no. you know much better than I, but it seems as though even if the snow starts to disappear, it looks as though it's like it's going to be a slower year. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's, there's no question that there will be snow. Once you get up to the escarpment, the top of... Uh, palisades tahoe there you'll it's going to be i mean i would say there's going to be snow um i mean all the way through probably like i mean even robinson flat which is mile 30 mm -hmm. so that's really people down so when she goes to that race she can't think she certainly can't think time she just has to think okay just run smart and try to win you know yeah i mean yeah. honestly the way it is right now you know we talk about the snow and slow but it to be honest with you it's there's a slight I mean, in my opinion, anyway, there's a slight possibility that the race wouldn't happen because there's so much. Oh, really? Um, you think so? Well, I just think that I don't know. I mean, I don't. I mean, I know. I know the trail. When I ran it, there was no snow on it, right? So, but the thing is, like, when there's as much snow as there is now, and it and it's it's it keeps coming. <laughs> um, when you go across, when you get over the top, and you go over the back, and you start going, it's you know, it's grad, it's kind of a gradual downhill. But if that's all loaded with snow on a side hill. I mean, like the trail is, that's going to be a, a nightmare. And it's even navigating where the trail goes because there's so much snow load that, mm. you know, I mean, people will be able to follow the trail. People that know the trail will be able to follow it. But I just think it's going to be really, it's it's hard to say, you know. I mean, I think a good, when the Broken Arrow Sky Race, which is a week before Western, I think, that'll be very interesting too because it's going to be all snow on that course. Yeah. Um, and you'll get a better idea of what Western will be like when we see that race go on. So I think okay. uh, it just be, should be a race, just just a race to win. No one's breaking any records this year. Um, and then, you know, and using getting back to it being three weeks apart, I mean, using my own experience in the past, I mean, I've run 400s in eight weeks before, and that's a lot. And I know what I did for my recovery, which was basically jog around in between races. Um, I think she can recover just plenty fast enough to, to be really fast at hard rock. Cause I've seen myself do it. And if I can do it, then she can certainly do it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I agree with you. I mean, you know, the, if you think about her, her background and what she's achieved, um, you know, she's yeah. done multiple 200 mile races. Um, she went round Biggs backyard for a couple of days. Uh, <laughs> um, right. um, she's been at the Barclay. So, you know, She's, she, it, as you would say, Carl, it's only a hundred miles. Um, and right. I think for Courtney, uh, yeah, I think, I think three weeks is most certainly enough for her to, to be fresh for a hard rock, a good hard rock. Um, but hey, you know, anything can happen. Let's see. Um, yep. I was sort of like trying to look through. Uh, what's happened in since January? Um, and folks, I apologise that I've not put a show out, but I've I, I have literally been on the road for eight weeks. 
Um, I, I left home on January the 7th and I didn't get home until March the 1st. So, um, podcasts were, were just not going to happen. Um, but, uh, I, I was at Oman Desert Marathon. Then I went to the Coastal Challenge. Um, and I was in, uh, Black Canyons, Carl. Um, so actually right. not, not that far away from, from you really. Um, although it is quite far. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was good to be, to be, uh, in the U S and, and see a different type of racing. Cause, cause, you know, I've not been in the U S much and superior 100 and, um, you know, the Mike and, um, Mike Foote, I've been to his race over at Big Sky. Um, so it was good to, yeah, exactly. So it was good to be at one of Jamil's races and, and see how he puts on an event because, I mean, that guy is a pro at putting on events. He put on, he puts on so many events. It's, it was like 40. Okay. I think he's got a race every weekend. It's, it's, it's a well oiled machine. Um, so Mm -hmm. it was good to see him and to see how, how that, that happened um but one one thing or one result that has sort of seemed to go under the radar is a uh, british runner joe zakchevsky she set a new 48 hour world record running 411.458 kilometers which is 255 and a half miles um in the taipei ultra marathon now there were a couple of tweets and I, I heard a couple of people mention it, but I don't think it's really registered on, on many radars and it, it should do. I mean, that's a hell of a long way in 48 hours. I know. Right. I mean, that's, that's it, the sport is so global now that yep. things, things do slip under the radar. There's no question about it. I mean, with you, we actually, you follow it on the global, you know, not in the U S maybe as much, but on, on the global European scene, you definitely have a better eye on things. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's you don't hear about stuff. You don't hear about a lot of stuff, what people are doing, you know. Um, they The only way they really get it out there is they start, you know, social media, right? Yeah. Um, it's, been, it's, been, it's been an interesting ride the last 10 years watching how things evolve, actually, from my perspective, when, when there was no social media, you know. <laughs> yeah, so different. No, I, exactly. I mean, if you think. The, the last 10 years how how things have changed um it is it is very very significant um obviously trans gran canaria happened and um andrea simon won that and courtney de walter that was the the main event um mm-hmm. of course trans gran canaria has been going many many years it was its 20th year this year which is that in itself wow. is pretty significant if you think about it you know 20 years you know there's not many races on the calendar that you can say have been going that long so that just goes to show you how how significant that race is and i think it it, it's it was very very clever in in always being so early in the year because the competition is considerably less and they uh, they always benefit from being like the first big global showdown to to give an idea of of you know who maybe is going to be good in the coming year um and there's always been a, a top european contention coming there and you know the americans have been over a lot so i think trans gran canaria is always a good place to look and say okay 
who who figured in the races and let's see where they're going to be in this year uh, and for sure Courtney's going <laughs> to going to be significant in 2023 yeah i mean the course does look pretty awesome i mean it's it it looks like a fantastic race there's no question about it and like you said the timing of the year is is cool because there isn't a you know there's no utmb there's no western there's no hard rock there's you know a number of other races that are huge and um, it's a good start to the season, you know, like you said, it's, uh, and I like, I like the fact that there's stuff year round, you know, um, for the most part anyway. Yeah. Um, and, but it's, um it's a good start. Way, way too cool was recently. I mean, that's always a, a race that we've, we've mentioned and talked about in, in past years. Um, I'm just having a look who won it. Craig Hunt. <laughs> Um, he won on the men's side. Yeah, back in my day, it's funny because Way Too Cool was like the Grand, grand, grand Canaria of the U.S. Yes, um, yes. Seriously, it was the 50K tune-up for the season, that kind of thing. And, and a lot of the fastest runners in the U.S. ran there, you know. And, and the guys are still running just as fast now, maybe even faster. But it's not the, the okay, everybody goes to this race, you know, in early March to see where, how fit they are or whatever. Um, very, very different. I mean, this field that the field that way too cool is, is huge. They have a couple waves. There's like a thousand runners, I think. Anyway, um, it has, it was, it was like the, the, the start of the season in the U S in the early two thousands. And now it's still a great race. No question about it, but it's, it's not the de facto early season for the U S runners anymore. Yeah. Um, and in the women's race, it was, uh, Catherine Short, uh, and on the same weekend, as we, as we mentioned, were the, uh, the octogenarians were running, uh, it was the US ATF 100 mile road national championships. Um, and Jonah Backstrom won that, um, for the men and, uh, Sierra de Groff, uh, won for the ladies. Um, Zach Bitter was actually in that race, but he, he, he was leading early on, but eventually dropped. He, you know, it's just one of those days that didn't click for him. Uh, and also notably in third place was Pete Kostelnik, um in 1547. So, um, you know, early season, we're already seeing a couple of significant names. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens to them as we move through 2023. Yeah, it wasn't. I mean, the times weren't too bad. For I think fourteen eleven was the winning time. It's not bad, yeah. you know. It's not not thirteen hours, but it's fourteen eleven is is pretty good. Um, and same with the women. I think it was just under sixteen. I mean, that's and that's a good. Again, it's not the fourteen thirty or something or whatever, no. but it's still pretty good. So I think, and you know, and and not taking anything away from anyone, but I I've never heard I've never heard of both those people. <laughs> Um, which just goes to show you that there's a lot of people out there that can run 14 hours for 100 miles or 15 hours for 100 miles. It's, it's pretty yeah. impressive. Uh, very different than you. If I think back, Carl, over the history of this show, and and um, I don't think we have to go back too far. And if we were talking about somebody running 14 hours for 100 miles, we'd be going like, wow, that's like fast. Yeah. And now yeah. it just seems, mm, oh, 14 hours, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah almost seems normal on the right course yeah i mean you know you know and, and back you know it's funny to say what was the bigger race in the u.s rocky raccoon 100 used to be a big race in the u.s yeah. and that was early february and the when i ran there it was you know again u.s runners but myself jurek mike wolf hal kerner uh ian Sharman. i mean that was like the the 
a big race early season for the hundred mile distance too. And now it's sort of like, it's still a great race. Like, like it always has been, but it's just, and I think three guys broke 14 there this year. And it was like, no one even talked about it. No, you know? no. I mean, if you think about it going way back when Ian Sharman won it with a, with an incredible time, that, that mm-hmm. was a really significant moment. And, and I'm sorry, Ian, but I can't remember what time you ran. Um, can you remember Carl? <laughs> I was Sorry? there, 12.44. <laughs> yeah. 12.44. So, yeah. so, you know, if you think about that that time um, and when Ian did that, and, you know, he, he never matched that again, did he? Um, I mean, he went back there multiple times, just as he has done with Leadville. Um, but, but every now and again, somebody comes along, has a really significant moment in a race, um, and then still continues to race really, really well, but never actually reaches that that pinnacle moment again um and i i think you know it's interesting to to do analysis on that and look at some runners and and see you know pinnacle moments in in ultra history and how how often they get close to that pinnacle moment um what was your pinnacle moment carl oh at that race (laughs) no uh, any race well i mean for me like my best you know, if someone asked me like, what was your best performance ever? And I, and I would say it wasn't my fastest, but I think this is a long time ago too. It was when I did win hard rock in 2001, 2639. Again, now it's pedestrian, <laughs> but the reason I, I say that is because I was just kind of coming into the scene. I'd won a couple times, but, but, um, the day, day or two before the race, you know, they mentioned that, Hey, Sports Illustrated magazine, a real magazine, (laughs) was there to do a story. And as was uh, National Geographic to do filming. And so when I heard that the day day or two before, I said to my friend Scott Mason, I said, man, it would be a really good time to win. (laughs) Um, Because that was like the thing, like putting your getting a picture, a photo in like Sports Illustrated was big, you know. Yeah. Um, I sort of like I. I stepped up and I had a really good run that day. And to me, that was like a big thing said, Hey, this is, I want to do this the rest of my life or whatever, you know, <laughs> I sort of decided to, I mean, I was, I was kind of, I didn't say I was going to do it the rest of my life, but I was sort of like, I'm a runner, you know, this is what I like to do. This is what I'm going yeah. to do. I'm not going to focus on uh, creating a brand or creating anything. I just kind of started running and that kind of made, that kind of like shaped my, my world for, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say up until now, it's changed a little now, of course, but it shaped my world for 15 years, you know, 15, yeah. 20 years. And it was, it was a big thing. You know, at the time it was a big thing waiting for that ultra running magazine to come out. So I get my photo in it <laughs> or something, you know? <laughs> um, I mean, now it's like, you know, it's just a magazine, but, uh, that was a, that was a big, a big thing for me at the time. Um, but there's, you know, it's a tough question for me because I've run so many races. I've done so many things over the years. I mean, the Appalachian Trail was a big thing for me, you know. Yeah. Yep. I mean, that was another thing that, it, you know, it took me three tries to to try to break that record. And, you know, when I did finally succeed the third time, that was like, wow, you know, how can I how can I top this, right? I mean, 20, 2016 after 2001, so it was 15 years of running mm-hmm. and racing and trying to do things and, once I hit that AT record, um, that was, that was, I mean, that maybe that's the other pinnacle moment of my career that I don't think I can top this one, you know, because no, no. you can't just go back to the AT the following year and say, okay, do it again. I mean, there's a lot no. involved with that. It's such it's a, a commitment. 
um, 45 days, you know, and now the record, obviously Carell's 41 days is amazing. But at the same time, it's like, uh, when you break a record like that and you, and you do something you, you've been working on for years and years and years, that's like the highlight of your career. That's, it's a pretty cool feeling. Um, but then, you know, as you get older, like you said, we're both getting older and slower. Um, you still just have to embrace the fact that you, you had that day, you know, you had that time. Yeah. And, uh, I just, yeah. I'm really for what I have look at my world and my life and what I've done and stuff. And like, I mean, I made a career out of running around the woods, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, you can't complain. I mean, that's the truth, <laughs> that's the truth, you know, and, and it's been really special. And I just have to keep telling myself when I'm walking around now, kind of injured that it's been really, it's been really a good ride. Cool. Well, I asked Courtney, um, one of those questions, um, which I didn't mm -hmm. think she would probably openly answer, but I, you know, I said, mm, you've done 200, you've run around backyards. Um, maybe not now yep. because you've still got speed, but will you eventually go to one of those long trails? And, and, and of course she, she said, yeah, yeah, eventually, eventually. But she said, there's too much to do before that um yeah. because i you know i think if if you look at the people who have tackled these these long trails you, you most certainly lose some of the speed that you had um mm -hmm. and and you know that that makes no sense in in courtney debilitating her body for something that's going to last 40 days if she can still run fast and quick in in the races that she wants to do i mean uh you know her time will come for that long stuff but but it'll be interesting to see when she does because she certainly has the mental and physical makeup to do something pretty significant, I think. And I think, you know, that's, that's an interesting point. Like, you know, look at Carell. Carell, I think, was, what, 30, about 30 years old when he went to, after the AT, string being two. Yeah. Um, you know, about 30 years old. So they're younger, and they could have had the same direction and said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm 30. I'm, I'm still fast and killing it on other races. I don't want to go after something like the AT or the PCT or something like that. But – if you look at Carell, he was 30 and he did it in 41 days, right? Yeah. Like is the time, is the time now for court to say, Hey, I still have speed. Granted. I mean, don't get me wrong. It, when you do something that long, it, it, it pummels you for four to five months afterwards. Yeah. But at least in my experience, when I did it in 2008, which was 54 days, so quite a bit slower, but my following year was phenomenal. In 2009, mm. I had a great year in 2000. I fastest hard rock. I ran some other races. I won stuff like that. Um, that that's almost when I coined the phrase "100 miles is not that far" because <laughs> it just wasn't. Well, after the AT, it's like you know, one day, come on, 100 miles, big deal, right? Yeah, true. And maybe it's it's one of those things. Like each time I've done the AT, um, the following year was really good. Um, you know, it took me a long time to recover, four or five months, but it built, I don't know if it built this amazing extra base that I had or this mental capacity that made me stronger, but it made me stronger the, the following years after it was, which was interesting. I mean, look at, I mean, Wardian, when he ran across the country this year, um, he hasn't slowed that really slowed down at all either. You know, um, I don't know if he had a better year the following year, but, um, it's interesting when you do those long trails, like it either destroys you as Dave Horton always said, you'll never, you'll never be fast again. If you run across the country, you'll never be fast again. If you do the AT quick, well, yeah. I think I proved him wrong. 2008, yeah. 
but at the same time, um, yeah, I think it builds you, it builds your, your mental and your, your power just a little bit better by doing something like that. And it makes everything else seem a lot shorter. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, I don't, th- I, I don't think we can put Wardian in the mix because he's just a freak of nature. Well, true. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I looked at one of his tweets yesterday or the day before and he, he'd just run 17 something for 5k. So I know. Yeah, so I mean, he he can still run super super quick, despite the fact that he can run for fifty miles a day for God knows how many days. I mean, you know, yeah. uh, Wardian is in the 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 Killian bracket of of alien, um, just yeah. not normal. That's... You know, not 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 possible to work out how these people function. Um... <laughs> You're exactly right. I mean, he you know. To have that range, like only, you know, not many guys have that range. Killian has that range. Uh, I think Walmsley might have that range, sort of. Um, but Wardian has that range. I mean, seven, 17 minute 5K is like, you know, most fast track runners would say, oh, that's, you know, my training pace. But yeah. when you're, you ran across the country and then he ran a, like an 18 minute or even an 18 or 19 minute 5K, like a couple weeks, not even a couple weeks later. Yeah. I mean, when you do something that long, like, I did the Pony Express. I didn't go the whole country with, but I went 2,000 miles, 50 miles a day, same as Mike did. Exact same, exact same thing, basically. I wasn't running no 1735K a couple <laughs> weeks later. I was like, am I, are you kidding me? And like, I didn't run for three or four weeks at all, you know? Yeah. Um, your legs are just slow. Um, you're on autopilot, but your legs are just slow. But yeah, he's very unique, man. It's like, it's crazy to see. He jumped in this 10K and I came in second. You know, I ran 35, 20. I mean, that's in his 40s. You know, he's in his 40s and he's running 35. That's, that's impressive. He's brilliant. I, I love Mike. He's just, he's just, he's just unique. He's just one of those people yeah. that that you you can't overthink what he does because he's he's going to surprise you no matter what it is. Um, and he works hard. You know, he's not. He's not, I don't work out as hard as I used to. I mean, he's doing all kinds of different things to get stronger still, just like Jeff Browning is too. Those guys really work at running, running, running. That's their life. If I think they, yeah. they work at one thing and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's great. You know, um, my focus has changed a little, but at the same time, it's like I hats off to those guys for still just like doing everything that they can to, to get faster and faster and faster as they age, because yeah. that's, the old mother, old father time just continues to click away and it doesn't stop. Yeah. So the older, you, the slower, the faster that slow pace comes. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's interesting to see how Jeff and Mike are moving into their fifties now and they're still just rocking it. You know, it's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Carl, it's been good to get you back on the show and, and catch up with you. Um, best of luck with that injury. Uh, go and get it sorted, and then you can be uh, back on the trails and entering another hundred. Because you've 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 got to win a hundred this year. No, I, yeah. <laughs> no pressure. Um, no, no pressure. <laughs> um, there is no pressure, man. I I don't look at it as pressure. I think um, I'm going. I'm not not going. Don't get me wrong. I'm going to try. I think hopefully if I can get over this injury and then the snow can start melting in the San Juans, I might have a little bit of an you know help. We'll call it help to be training at altitude and into sleeping up higher too. And then if I go to a race, I think I might have a chance. I'll come down from 8,000 feet and go to something that's closer to sea level. So I have a little bit of, you know, fake doping. <laughs> if you want to call it that. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. 
but, but you know what I'm saying is like the sleeping at 8,000 feet is a good number for altitude training. So, um, hopefully it'll help me. We'll see, but, uh, I'm really happy with where I'm at. I, I'm living, I'm living where, I mean, my view out my window is incredible and it's quiet. The night, the scar, the scar stars, I'm sorry, are very bright at night. Um, unlike Salt Lake city. So I'm excited to move on to sort of the next chapter. It's great. Once again, folks, thank you so much for being here and listening. Um, we'll try to get the show out more regularly in the coming year. Um, but thank you for being here. Share us on Facebook, tweet us on Twitter. Please go to Instagram at Ian Corliss Photography uh, and use good old worth of mouth. Importantly, go to iTunes and subscribe so that you get the show when it's released. All our back catalogue is at iancorliss.com. If you'd like to support us, we're on patreon.com forward slash talkultra. I'm Ian Corliss. He is Speed Got Carl. Keep running. You're listening to the global ultra-running podcast, Talk Ultra.